0: Hey everybody, in this episode I talked to my good friend Tyler Walsh, who is currently a pastor at the church that I used to be a part of. In this episode Tyler shares his experience with purity culture within his church. His experience is for the most part positive, so it's very helpful to hear his perspective. He then goes into why he holds to a lot of the principles within his church's purity culture, but he also talks about some ways he thinks it should change. Remember, when we are talking about purity culture, we're talking about the concept that there is a right way to live out sexuality and there is a wrong way to live out sexuality. In other words, there is a pure way to live out sexuality and there is an impure way to live out sexuality. And the culture is a culture that's built around those ideas. Like, what does the community teach about what is pure? What do they teach is impure? What do they do when someone doesn't live up to the pure standards? That's what we mean by the culture. So in a nutshell, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about purity culture. This conversation starts with me explaining this definition to Tyler, and here's how he responds. Well, I would actually argue, I I agree with everything you you said,
1: I think. I'm trying to think of it. But yeah, I'd agree with everything uh, that you said there. But I would actually argue I'm not the only one who believes that, that even non-Christians slash ex-Christians slash anyone else believes there's a right way and a wrong way.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: The Me Too movement is saying there's a wrong way that sexuality has been expressed and that's not okay. And so we need to change the way that women are treated. That's the, the whole point of the Me Too movement. And that's within Christian circles, as well as many, many others. So I would actually argue that if we're going to talk about purity culturists as saying there's a right way and a wrong way, and we're going to try to have the community live by those standards, I I think actually everybody's doing that, um, not just the church. Yeah. The rules are different, um, or the viewpoints are different. But I I would actually argue that I think we all want purity culture if we're talking about that in like the good sense of the word it's it's ironic to me that purity has kind of become a negative term Hmm. um because i don't think that's what anyone's actually against again thinking about the me too movement um andrew cuomo name your politician who's had a sex scandal you're not mad at them for pursuing purity culture you're mad at them for violating people yeah um so I actually think the term is a little ironic because Mm -hmm. what we all want is purity. However, we're going to define that, but we're all pursuing it in some way. What we don't like is like this shame, control, fear culture. Yeah. And I think that's, as I've listened to more stories, I think that's what people are more upset about is this, this shame that's cast around it or this controlling mentality. And I think it just varies church to church family to family how intense that gets or how twisted and morphed and sometimes you know biblical commands are used sort of as a front for people to be Mm -hmm. manipulative and controlling i don't think that does that says anything bad about the commands i just think that says something bad about the leaders yeah that are are abusing them
0: yeah yeah i i definitely agree with you I, i think there's very little culture out there that is like, everything goes, you know, yeah. <laughs> like there, there's some guardrails somewhere. And I guess, um, yeah, it's just a question of like, where do you draw those lines?
1: Yeah. Um, and and what do you do when those guardrails are, are breached when someone fails to meet those expectations?
0: Yeah. Right. And, and I also think the word purity is a tough word because think something's pure. I mean, the implication is there's – the opposite is unpure, right? Impure and and, – Defiled. Yeah, and like um, it seems like within Christian culture it's really easy to become impure, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, while I think there's a distinction between impure actions and an impure person, Mm -hmm. I think sexuality is so like – it's such a big part of us that yeah. when we commit an impure uh, action, it feels like we are impure. And that's where, like, the shame comes in, I think. Um, yeah. But we'll get into that a little later, I think. Um, but sounds like we define purity culture yeah. to an extent. Um, hopefully our audience can understand the rest of this conversation now. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my first question to you is: How has this idea, this purity culture, uh, manifests itself in your church growing up, and uh, how is it now? Because you've been going to the same church your whole life, correct?
1: Uh, sort of. Oh, okay. My whole church life, sure, but I didn't grow up. Your whole yeah. As a Christian, and I didn't grow up going to church, so I was. Thirteen, fourteen, when I first started coming to church, so all the the early stuff that people experience in, around sexuality and teaching, biblical teaching, around all that stuff, I didn't experience any of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm thirty two now. So yeah, close to twenty years I've been involved with this church. There's a few years I was somewhere else, but I was even then still connected Mm -hmm. with this church so all that to say um i mean i can speak from my own experience but i'm not like an expert on this church because it's older than i am and so um i'll share just my own experience there yeah um so yeah like i said i was 13 14 i started coming to church and i was uh, part of a small group of middle school boys at the time that became high school and on and we met it was called a teen accountability group and so we met to hold ourselves accountable to practicing our faith reading our bible memorizing verses praying witnessing and part of that was sexual purity Um, that was the phrase we would use so like a pretty common question i was asked and then i went on to lead a tag group and i asked guys i was leading have you looked at porn this week have you masturbated this week Um, and so that's, that's one way of just in those groups, sort of the expectation was this is something that you're wanting to, um, uphold and, and we're going to check in and pray for you on that and, uh, do the best we can to help you through whatever struggle, um, you're having. Mm -hmm. So that, that was one way. Um, so, and that's in my own experience, but I think. Uh, there's other pockets in this church where that same kind of accountability is happening um, and and an encouragement to fight against um, pornography or just kind of sexual, um, this is, this is going to sound, well, this is a Bible kind of phrase, but sexual immorality. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, when, immoral stuff.
1: Yeah. And more bad <laughs> stuff. Um, when I was, Working as a youth intern and when I was in youth ministry myself uh, It wasn't like a hard and fast rule, but uh, I was encouraged to like not date in high school um, Just because those typically weren't mature relationships and um, I didn't Abide by that rule. I, I, I shouldn't even call it a rule um, It's just kind of a, an encouragement I suppose Yeah. Like, um and yeah I, I had a couple girlfriends in high school and uh i i know plenty of others at our church did and that wasn't like that wasn't a no one i don't think anyone considered that a sin um mm-hmm. but it was sort of like encouraged to wait until you're a little bit older a little bit more mature mm-hmm. um and you kind of know a little bit more about yourself and who you're looking for mm-hmm. in a spouse or um I don't know if I why I say or what what you're looking for in a spouse. Yeah. Um and I was trying to remember as I was preparing this if this was the church or if this was my own, like my own reading and my own pursuit of of purity. I don't remember anyone directly teaching this at the church. It's very possible it was there. Um but I, but I know for sure, uh, I wasn't on this. So there's a fairly big name within the Christian evangelical world. If you're talking about purity culture, and that's Josh Harris. He wrote a book called "I Kissed Dating Goodbye," and then he wrote another book called "Boy Meets Girl." Uh, and one of the things that he was arguing is is you know we're not going to date, we're going to court, um, mm-hmm. which it means we're not going to have these superficial. Relationships that aren't going anywhere, courting is when you're like, you're intentionally getting to know someone for the purpose of marriage. Are mm-hmm. we compatible or are we not? Um, and I never subscribed to the full thing. I thought it was really stupid to call something courting. It made me feel <laughs> like we were in like medieval times or something. Yeah. Uh, but it did make me, once I started kind of subscribing to that idea, take the idea of dating more seriously. Um, yeah. and so that that's kind of one way it was played out. Um, regular things that I have taught and I was taught, um, in terms of purity culture is that, uh, wait until you're married to have sex. And when you're dating, it's a good idea to have agreed upon physical boundaries of we're going to go. This is how far we're going to go. Um, this is what I'm comfortable with. This is what you're comfortable with. And, and then uh those boundaries so let me back up uh, we believe that the biblical command is you need to wait until you're married to have sex mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. Um beyond that one of the ways I tried to obey that in my own personal life and then I taught and encouraged others is so when you're dating have a plan for how far you're gonna go and then stop so mm-hmm. are you Holding hands, hugging, front hugging, side hugging, are you gonna to use tongue when you kiss, are you not? Um, are you gonna be in the same, if you're gonna be in the same like house alone together, what are, how are you gonna make sure you don't accidentally end up having sex? <laughs> like having these written boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if my tone's communicating this. I For me, that was really positive, I needed that. Uh, I think my tone might be communicating that that was like childish or stupid if I could go back to myself when I was dating, I'd still encourage myself to do that. Hmm. Um, I'm sure that I probably pushed that a little too hard on other people sometimes. Hmm. Um, see, uh, oh, for purity culture, I think one of the things that it it did. And this is neither positive nor negative. I think when I say it, it's going to sound negative, but I don't know a way around it, and I don't necessarily even think it's a bad thing. But for me, as a youth intern and then now on staff at this church, our sexual ethic creates a sense of, an additional sense of pressure as someone who's like leading in a certain capacity for our church that if I screw up, then... There's a lot of collateral damage um, to people who sort of either look up to me or, you know, are trying to learn from me or something like that. And so um, it feels like there's a little bit of a higher standard. Mm-hmm. Um, or this, maybe not the higher, the standard's the same, but the stakes are higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I don't think that's necessarily a negative thing. Uh, I, I don't think there's a way around that. Um, and just going back to what we talked about earlier, we we have high expectations, or at least we should, okay. uh, for people who are like in political office. If you're going to lead us, you need to, you need to have character, um, and I think that the our sexual ethic creates that same expectation of mm-hmm. leaders in the church.
0: Yeah, gotcha. So those are the main ways that. Um, purity culture manifested itself in your your church just a summary um encourage not to date until you are out of high school yeah
1: not to date flippantly or immaturely which we equated with if you're in high school (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah yeah
0: um and then save yourself till marriage and then there are a few you know rules that you put you know on yourself uh, encouraged by from other leaders you know um just boundaries you yeah. mentioned, you mentioned some boundaries, so yep. you didn't necessarily say which ones you did um but okay yeah, gotcha. and then
1: and then a consistent accountability, like even now, I still have guys that i I have filters on my computer um mm-hmm. that guys see what websites I visit, and i I welcome that and i I want that, and I think that's a healthy thing, so yeah. that's that's part of how purity culture is played out in my own life and in in this church.
0: Yeah. And then, um, is it like a, it's like a weekly, um, check-in or what is your small group accountability look like?
1: Yeah. So, um, I have a group of guys I meet with, mm, I don't even know if I'd say most Sundays, but at least probably half Mm -hmm. half, uh, on Sunday afternoons we talk and that's a consistent thing. Um, uh, the guy I work with, he doesn't check in regularly. He gets my reports weekly. Uh, we don't mm-hmm. talk about it very often, um, but we have. Mm-hmm. And there have been times when I've felt tempted and I've asked him for additional prayer. So there's that. Um, and then there's a, another group of two guys I meet with on Wednesdays that we talk about sexual purity. And that's not mm-hmm. the only thing we talk about.
0: It's um, like right when they walk in, hey, eh? did you masturbate? <laughs> yeah. Oh, nope. Yeah. You've nope. been yanking? Or, yep. Nope. Okay. Uh, well. Uh, okay. So... All right. We talked about how um, purity culture has manifested itself in the church that you, I guess, grew partly grew up in. Yeah, and we can are, just, we can are just are say still, grew up in is yeah. Yeah, that's fine. And uh, are still a part of. Um, so why why was this the way? Um, why was this the correct path to take according to the church that you were in?
1: Yeah. Um I don't know how this stacks up in comparison to other churches cuz I pretty much know this church. Yeah. Um but it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is our our theology, our understanding of the world and God and humanity and sexuality of what's right and what's wrong and um and how God has designed humans to flourish. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how we got from those two specifics. Uh, I mean certain ones like saving yourself until marriage I mean that's just straight up written in the Bible. so that's that's not hard to figure out how we got that one but mm-hmm. um, how I got to covenant eyes for example um, there's nothing in the Bible that says I have to have filters on my computer but it does tell me to flee from sexual morality so it's like okay I need to take extreme measures to Mm -hmm. avoid it so um yeah i'd say honestly in large part it's it's part of our theology it's us trying to as best we can apply what we believe and um we didn't totally get at this at the beginning but i wanted to make sure we hit on it is that um for all of the downsides of purity culture and I think we'll talk about those in some of the next question. In the next question, and I know other people have experienced lots of downsides. For all of the downsides and flaws of purity culture, I think the heart of it is good. Mm-hmm. Um, the impulse is is to try to as best we can obey Scripture and honor the Lord. And, and honestly, it's to seek flourishing. So, I mean, Paul tells us that there's not even to be a hint of sexual morality. And so we're trying to obey that as best that we can. And, um, first Corinthians, I can't remember the exact chapter right now, but, uh, it talks about our bodies being temples of the Holy Spirit. And Paul makes the statement that, you know, there's lots of ways to sin. And If you sin sexually, that's unique in the sense that you sin against your own body. And uh, going back to the Me Too movement, you know, something I heard a couple of weeks ago that I thought was really, really helpful is, um, you know, we can ask, think about the issue this way, are are our bodies more like playgrounds or temples? And our culture by and large, culture being kind of the non-Christian secular culture at large, pop culture um, treats bodies a little bit more like a playground than a temple. Uh, But if we look at the Me Too movement, you can see when, when your body is violated, when sexuality gets out of hand, it's not as if you just scraped your knee at the playground, it's as if sacred space has been desecrated. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I guess the the point of what I'm getting at is that the heart behind purity culture, at least at in my own experience, in my own life is not because we think sexuality is bad or shameful or something to be denied or devalued. It's because we think it's so good yeah. that we want to honor it. And it's so powerful that we want to shepherd it. We want we want to honor the Lord with it and we want to find our greatest joy in it. It's not that we're trying to do away with it. Um, yeah, we're trying to honor it and lift it up. It's not because it's a bad thing; it's because it's a good thing that we treat it that way. Yeah. Um. And I think that can get twisted sometimes. So, um. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that that's one of the reasons I think, just because of our theology, um, and I think the second is. Has experienced, like every church, and I think almost every person. Um, hurt as a result of sexual sin and misbehavior yeah um that's happened at leadership level that's happened with congregation members and it's um it's really painful to see some of the relationships that shatter around that um and i don't think that if we just didn't have those rules that feelings wouldn't be hurt they would be Um, and so it is our theology but then also we we have experience where people have been sinned against sexually and we we don't want that to keep happening Mm -hmm. and so we try to create a culture where people don't sin sexually Yeah, yeah. yeah um so yeah Yeah, I think those are the, those are the reasons I could think of.
0: Okay. Um, Was it, was it successful for you? I mean, you, you mentioned that you would, you would do it all again. Uh, I'm talking about. I would do
1: most of it again.
0: I'm talking about like before. Some of it again. (laughs) (laughs) Before you were married. And of course it continues, right? I mean, now it's more like, um, are you being loyal to your wife? Um, no. kind of conversations because uh, Tyler is mar- you're married um, I am yeah Yes. just so everybody knows so don't don't be trying to you know make mm-hmm. him your husband or something yeah
1: that's right I'm taken <laughs>
0: um, has it been successful for you like what has been your success or sorry your emotional uh, physical experience with growing up in this culture
1: Um. yes and no it has been both helpful and unhelpful, okay. and I think some of the unhelpful stuff, um, I'll get to that in a sec, but it, part of that's just from my own personality and my own experience. Some of it's probably just from the culture of the church as a whole, but but um, let me go through the positive um, stuff. So the things that, that I benefited from personally, um, like I mentioned, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and even though I started coming to church when I was 13 and 14, it was still years before i was really um discipled or changed into someone who was really following the lord in every area of my life i mean i really wanted to but i just didn't know for um yeah a lot of that early adolescence and so just that time i'm like (laughs) smack dab in the middle of puberty right which is the time of kind of this sexual awareness and awakening and, um, I was not shaped by Christian values growing up when it comes to sexuality. It's not to like demean my family at all, but it's just it wasn't that way um and so I appreciated the guidance. I felt like I wanted that and mm-hmm. needed that um you know, one example is I was. Raised, I shouldn't say raised watching movies. I was allowed to watch movies like American Pie, and I don't know if anyone's seen that movie, but that's, uh, that does not rank high on the Christian sexual purity movie <laughs> I list. I haven't seen it. No. Uh, it. Yeah, it's just it it trivializes sex and makes it totally, it, yeah, it doesn't uphold Christian values. I was yeah. but, and I was shaped more by that kind of thing or Billy Madison uh or happy gilmore where sex is kind of more of a joke it's not really taken all that seriously and like you just kind of get as much as you can mm-hmm. um and so one of the things that pre-culture was helpful as i i needed to be taught a different way and yeah. so that was that was good for me and i liked that and i welcomed that um another example i i think it's funny when i look back on myself now uh probably 14, 15 years old, just a few years after coming to Christ uh, or Jesus saving me and uh, trying to figure the whole thing out. And uh, I remember thinking I really want to honor God with sex. So I don't want to like just do this willy-nilly. So the way I'm going to honor God is I'm going to wait until prom night to have sex because Mm -hmm. that's like a really special time. And Where people right. most are like,
0: yeah, everybody's having sex on prom night.
1: Yeah, and I'm like, I totally thought if I save myself for my senior year, not junior prom, if I save myself for senior prom, that's like really special. And that'll yeah. honor the Lord. Um, and I just look back and I'm like, dude, senior prom was lame. <laughs> <laughs> like, just even apart from the sex stuff, it's like that is not a as special of a night as I thought yeah. uh, in my head. So anyway, that's just, um, I, I needed to be... Taught and shaped and I think slash christianity's um sexual ethic and purity culture was good for me in that mm-hmm. way that it taught me there's a there's a better way it's a harder way um but there's a better way yeah and um i I desired and I still desire. Uh, to do what Paul says in Romans 6. There's a passage in the Bible where Paul says to no longer offer the parts of your body as slaves to sin, but instead, because you've been freed from sin by Jesus, offer the parts of your body as slaves to righteousness. I wanted that, and I wanted very specifically to hand every part of my body over to the Lord to be used for His purposes. Mm -hmm. Like... In, including my penis like that sounds weird and a little crass but everything I wanted to honor the Lord with that uh, the the culture around tag and not looking at porn and getting filters on your computer and fighting against masturbation and all that kind of stuff those were practical ways that I saw to do that. Mm-hmm. to try to honor the Lord with my body as much as I could. Yeah. Um, so, so that was good. Yeah. Uh, the things that were unhelpful. I, um, I don't know if it's my personality. I don't know if it's experiences I've had uh, when I was a, a younger or what, but um, I can be just obsessive in general. I don't know if I'd say I'm obsessive compulsive, but you know, one example is I've got this new book that I want to buy. It's like I kind of check Amazon a couple of times and I just read the same description over and over. Yeah. Uh, I don't do it just once. And so when it came to sexuality and pornography and all that kind of stuff, it it was a easy thing for me to get into a sexual addiction, and then the purity culture around that. I think caused me to sort of over focus a little bit mm-hmm. so there's a great little book called the purity principle um and it's written by a christian author set by randy alcorn randy alcorn yeah, so I we're doing that. all kind of ads on this thing covenant eyes canopy randy alcorn purity principle mm-hmm. yeah i think it's a great book but one of the points he makes in that book is that we can over focus on sexuality by trying to like fight it so hard that that's all we think about and so he has this little experiment in the book that I think <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, he just—he writes this one little sentence, don't think about snakes. Don't think about snakes. Okay, so what's the first thing you're thinking about is snakes, right? Yeah. And so if I'm always thinking, don't look at porn, don't look at porn, don't masturbate. It's like I keep bringing it up. I keep yeah. bringing it up and like it keeps just coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it sort of like keeps it on the front burner um, and so I probably overfocused a bit, and part of that maybe was the culture. Um, part of that was probably me, and um, and then I think I uh, I I experienced not at this church, but I experienced a pretty dark side of purity culture um, when I was was I 17 or 18 I went to work at a Christian camp um, and uh, all kinds of reasons for this but I was feeling very insecure about myself and didn't have any friends just kind of being a uh, it was a difficult summer for me Mm -hmm. well there was this girl there who was um, a, a fellow staff member and she was like nice to me And that was pretty much all it took. I was like, oh, yeah, she's going to be my girlfriend. (laughs) Okay. No, we never had sex or anything. We never did anything, um, like, unholy. Mm -hmm. But when I say I experienced the dark side uh, was meeting her dad and her family. They were way over the top controlling. Um, So, for example, like, you know, I mentioned boundaries and all that kind of stuff. Like, he refused to let me front hug anyone in his family that was a female and felt like that was totally inappropriate. Mm. Um, If I wanted to call and talk to her because we lived in different cities, I needed to talk to him first and tell him what I was going to talk to her about. And if I went up to visit their house, uh, because, again, we lived in different cities, it's like I would get to hang out with her, but only in the context of, like, their whole family. And... (laughs) the one person I would get to hang out one-on-one with was her dad. Mm -hmm. And so I I distinctly remember (laughs) several times, like walking around the neighborhood with him and he wanted to be this like mentor type. Um, he wanted to sort of be my Obi-Wan and he, and he wanted to hold me accountable for pornography and masturbation and all that kind of stuff. It was, uh, she was seven, I was 18. She was 17 at the time. Um, And she wanted to go to like a movie night at her friend's house. You know, she's a senior in high school, and her dad uh, either wouldn't let her go by herself, or if she went, he needed to go with her. And so it was, uh, there's lots of weird stuff going Uh on there. But in terms of purity culture, he was so, this father was so determined that sin was not going to happen Mm -hmm. to his daughter. Um, And granted, I wasn't like, I wasn't in a great place. I don't think we ever would have done anything, but he was over the top controlling of her. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: mm. That's not, a, by the way. Just, yeah, just to I make didn't it think clear, it was. On, <laughs> I know you. I know you didn't or you knew, but just to make it clear on the podcast, that's not his wife. That's not the woman yeah. I'm currently married to. That's someone else. But um, it wasn't until I had some distance from that relationship after we broke up that I realized something that that was like not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a little bit weird to realize like, yeah, I could get sucked into this, like controlling weirdness, um, from these beliefs and not even realize, not even feel like something like at the time I was like, yeah, that makes total sense. Like I should totally talk to you <laughs> uh, <laughs> like this. It was weird. Yeah. Um, so that, that was an unhelpful aspect of period of culture just in my own life um and then i think one other unhelpful aspect and i have been trying to figure out as i've been thinking about this podcast if if again this was me um and my own sense of shame or if this was the culture um it's it's kind of always easy to make it someone else's fault but this may well have been my own but olivia and i did have boundaries written boundaries had people holding me accountable but it's i mean i wanted her you know yeah and we We still entered marriage as virgins, but um we went further than we should have, and it took a while before we were willing to confess that to anybody mm-hmm. um, and I think that is mostly because I was afraid of what people were gonna think of me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: now, like I said, it's pretty fuzzy in my mind. was that just my own fear of man because i Every time I've ever confessed sin with people in my life, I it's been met with grace and forgiveness, and let's figure out how to not do that again. Yeah. Um, it hasn't been met with shame. Uh, but again, maybe that over-focused, I had an over-inflated sense. Even though sin, sexual sin is a big deal, maybe I made it too big of a deal. And so I felt mm-hmm. like, man, this can't be confessed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, oh, man, I don't even remember. But Olivia and I confessed to, like, her parents. And it was a couple years after we were married. I don't know how many. Three, maybe. Um, And honestly, I didn't even want to. Olivia kind of talked me into it. (laughs) Um, But it was so freeing. So Uh it was really, really good when that confession actually happened. And it was like, you know, I was... um, I was responded to with the gospel of grace, Mm. you know. Um, But for a long time
0: I had thought, I can't share this, you know. Um, Were they expecting, like, if you were to screw up, you know, were they expecting you to confess that to them? Um, Her parents? Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: Or was it more just a kind gesture? (laughs) <laughs> to do
1: that? Uh, I think while we were dating, I think they probably did yeah. um, expect that, which we didn't when it actually happened. It was, mm-hmm. it was years later. Um, and I, I I, think if we had confessed, you know, like the day after we yeah. had gone too far or something, um, I'm, I know my in-laws well enough to know now. I'm pretty sure I still would have been met with the gospel of grace. I think they would have been disappointed uh yeah I was disappointed in my own in myself um but I still think I I, I think I would have been forgiven mm-hmm. I think there probably would have been a conversation not just with them but I think that would have initiated in my own thinking a conversation of what what additional boundaries do I need to create so that doesn't happen again yeah. um mm-hmm. her parents I don't know if they would have done that or not. Maybe. I know I would have if I if I had felt, if I had taken the opportunity to talk about it when it happened.
0: Yeah. Hmm. But you said that you, um, every time you have confessed and all that, you've always been welcomed with what you said, the gospel of grace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. So, so do you, have you experienced shame regarding, um uh, sexual purity stuff? And do you think that was like due to the culture you're around at all, or has it all been like pretty, the gospel of grace stuff?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, I've definitely experienced shame around. It. I mean, so just like that story, it took years before we confessed anything. Yeah, so that um, was that one. That was probably eating away at you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but um, you know, when I was in high school, uh, I mean, I had a pretty deep uh, addiction to pornography. Like, I would say, you know, you know how a recovering alcoholic is. N- never says I'm not an alcoholic. They always say I'm an alcoholic, even if it's been 20 years or I'm at the yeah. point in my life where I, I just say I'm a I'm a recovering sex addict um, Even if it's been X amount of years or whatever. So when I was in high school, um, I was pretty deep Deeply addicted it felt like I mean mm-hmm. every day after school and trying to find ways to access um, Porn and hide it and all that kind of stuff and yet uh, Confessing pretty regularly to that small group. I mentioned earlier Um, but feeling ashamed of myself, frustrated with myself, um, I wouldn't say self-hatred. That's not the right word. I don't think I ever hated myself, but I was always like, dude, why, (laughs) why do you keep doing this? Like, Mm -hmm. you don't want to, you know, it's not right. And, and you don't even like the way you feel afterwards. It's like, it's like this moment of pleasure and this like adrenaline rush leading up to uh, an experience but then but then you just feel like a piece of crap afterwards why do you keep doing this mm-hmm. um, and just feeling like I don't I don't yeah, frustrated so frustrated and probably ashamed yeah uh, whether those emotions were the result of me being you know part of our church or just myself I feel like that's a fuzzy line I
0: it's a hard question to ask because yeah. you're you were in it yeah, you know, well, and... It's hard to remove w- yourself from that.
1: I want to be very careful how I talk about shame because um, there are certain things we should be ashamed of. Yeah. Um, and that's not a bad thing. I think what... It, oftentimes, at least in the conversation around purity culture, it feels like we're talking about undue shame and kind of like a, a finger-wagging you shouldn't have done that shame on you kind of like heaping guilt on and I never experienced anyone else doing that to me um, maybe I did a little bit of that to myself um, and yeah, anyway going back to like not all shame is bad and not all and I didn't even know I call it shame as much as conviction from the Holy Spirit saying like you know this is wrong yeah. and and I'm okay accepting yeah, I did something wrong, and I feel bad about it. Yeah. Um, so. So it
0: sounds like uh, your experience was it was you experienced shame, or um, I've I've heard the differentiation between guilt and shame. Like yeah. guilt is like everybody should feel guilty for something, like like you were saying. <laughs> yeah, I did something shame, bad.
1: Shame, I am bad. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's a good way of saying it. Yeah. yeah. And shame usually because it's, I am bad, that sticks with you longer. Um, Whereas guilt doesn't stick with you as long. Um, So it sounds like most of what you felt was like the guilt, the, it was healthy, it was mostly healthy or am I? Uh,
1: No, I'm sure there was a, uh, I'm trying to go back to, you know, those emotions. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I'm sure there were unhealthy feelings of just. Yeah, I am a horrible person, and I'm like, not, um, not viewing myself rightly, and mm-hmm. shame, un, an undue sense of shame. But I, what I'm saying is, I'm not sure if that was. I, I can't. I have a hard time ascribing that to someone else. I think, yeah. I think some of that was, no one else explicitly did that to me. Yeah. Um and because I still agree with the teachings of the church, I I'm not gonna pin it on that either. Um, and I agree with the Bible. I, I I just feel like what I did was wrong. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it was my own issue of well Jesus forgives me so I can um I can just repent and move on. Yeah. Um, but there was a part of me that's like, no I can't, I gotta still feel bad about myself for a while. Mm-hmm. Um so Yeah. Um yeah, it was I I distinctly remember I had been like you know, clean uh, or sober, if you want to call it that for a couple of years now or a couple of years then when this happened, but um I I looked at porn after several years of not and, and several years was like a major accomplishment in my life. Yeah. Um and I just was like I cannot believe myself. I just was so frustrated is probably the better word Mm. and angry at myself.
0: Mm. Looking back on how you were brought up in the church, um, if you were one of those leaders or um, framing it differently, like um, just looking back on the leadership that you had, is there a different way you would have done things regarding purity culture? Um, Different ways of communicating what you guys believe and what you enforce and uh would the roadmap to the uh holy way of living i guess (laughs) in this area uh be changed at all um if you were to go back and um be a part of it again
1: um i think there's probably two things i can think of right now one is that i would be Uh, if I could go back to my... I'm thinking of if I could talk to myself as a 15, 16, 17-year-old. Yeah. I would hit harder on the gospel of grace and just remind... uh, I I would require myself to memorize 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just remind myself over and over... He's the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and as many chances as you need. You're clean. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Like, the blood of Jesus purifies you. Um, I think I too easily forgot that and forgot to tell people that enough Um, because I think our own guilty conscience and I, I do believe there are spiritual forces in the world that accuse us and try to keep us in that dark place of shame uh and and i think i believed lies like i can't tell anyone or i'm never going to get out of this Um, and so i would just hit heavier anytime i taught on sexuality on the gospel of grace um i think i was yeah too quick to forget Mm -hmm. um the grace that jesus brings and trying to find a a good way to balance holding a high standard pursuing holiness being intentional and calling other people to that balancing that because i don't want to give that up with with um grace when not if we fall and so that's one thing i would do just heavier emphasis on grace yeah uh the second thing i would do is uh And it's very possible somebody did this and I was just too horny to listen. (laughs) Um, Is to make it crystal clear that when you get married, uh, all of your sexual problems don't go away. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. It was, uh, I think, the unspoken assumption, I believed, was hold off, control yourself, and when you get married, you can just unleash all of your sexual energy into that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, just sexuality is way more complex than that. And uh, the emotions that go into it, the relational dynamic, um, there's just way more than I realized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I think I probably... I, I don't... I don't think I did myself or my wife a favor by assuming that I could go into marriage just and and not have to consider another person. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess maybe to broaden that out, so maybe this is 2B or number three things I would change, is um, rather than just teaching don't look at porn, don't masturbate, don't have sex before you're married, I would still teach those things, but... Uh, within a larger context of sexuality and the act of sex as a um as a relational act and just i've become more and more convinced that our physical intimacy needs to match our relational intimacy Mm -hmm. um and when those two things are out of sync when we're higher uh sexually than we are relationally you've got a pretty dysfunctional you you get into dysfunctional relationships yeah um And I just don't think I appreciated or taught the relational aspects of sexuality, including my own identity and what's driving me to, um, it was a long time before I started asking the question, what's driving me to porn over and over and over again? Mm. What are those deeper issues of insecurity and identity and worth and value? And how do I address those questions rather than just how do I stop? Yeah. Um, yeah. So,
0: yeah. Um, I'm curious to know your explanation as to why why wait till marriage, besides, oh, the Bible tells me to. Like, what is so special <laughs> well, that's about... That's not
1: good enough for you, man? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> what is so special about the marriage relationship that makes sex okay?
1: Yeah. So um, I just mentioned a minute ago about I feel like the... I think that a healthy relationship matches physical intimacy with relational intimacy. And I think without the commitment of a marriage covenant, uh, you're out of sync there. You're, you're more physically intimate than you are relationally intimate and relationally committed. Uh, so I think there's a commitment thing there. And sex, um, like we mentioned way earlier, I believe is a much more powerful act than we often give it credit for and uh, I've heard it described as kind of like spiritual superglue all of mm-hmm. the endorphins that happen uh, and the brain activity that happens when you have an orgasm like create a really strong tight connection with whatever you're doing that with mm mm-hmm. um, and if we're just routinely doing that with someone we're not committed to, then when uh, or if that separation happens, it's extremely painful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's one thing, just that commitment, that relational commitment, um, I think is probably the biggest. The second, uh, and this is a little bit more theological, is in Ephesians 5, um, Paul has this code of like you know laws for the household for husbands and wives and children and parents and and uh at the end he's talking about marriage for a while and at the end he uh, talks about how marriage is basically a living parable to reflect christ and his church Mm -hmm. and um i think we risk messing that image up if we're not committed to the other person when we're having sex with them um is that does that make sense yeah. it, it's we're not showing that same level of selfless commitment and service I, one of the best ways i've heard it is that in the bedroom um you have dysfunction when you have one giver and one taker you have messed up dysfunction when you have two takers but when you have two givers in the mm-hmm. bedroom that's when you're gonna have the best um relationship you're gonna have the best um sexual experience I Don't understand why um, If you're willing to have sex with someone you're not willing to commit to them. Um, I Understand the difficulty in waiting for that. I I, I don't argue that it's easy. hmm I'm just saying it's better hmm. um, And so that level of I, I guess I'm circling back to what I started with that level of commitment I think creates the best sexual experience and it's interesting there's a man I wish I printed it out or, or brought it with me with notes or something but uh, there was a study done just a couple of years ago um, and uh, not by a Christian group and the long and short of it I can send you a link if you want to put it on like a show notes or something yeah. Uh, yeah. but the bottom line was uh, people who are married actually have more sex and better sex um, Than kind of the young free friends, Seinfeld, the office lifestyle that yeah. it's like
0: hookups. Yeah. All
1: that. Yeah. Hookups are kind of casual dating. Um, mm. I think we're led to believe that old married couples in their 40s and 50s, it's like kind of like ho hum boring. Uh, that just doesn't seem to, well, it's not the case in my life. Um, yeah. But it, the study was like basically saying, yeah, that's not actually reflected in how people answer these surveys mm-hmm. so mm. i'll uh, make a note to send that to you you can post it on whatever
0: yeah, we'll we'll put it in the description of whatever platform this is on cool you you mentioned uh what you would say to yourself um back in the day when you were a teen going through puberty and just like trying to navigate sexual desires in this culture or whatever um if there's somebody in the church that feels shame right now uh, due to them having sex outside of marriage because they're not married or whatever, or, or just struggling with addiction or uh, addiction meaning uh, like pornography. Yeah. Um, and then uh, in this church, we also talk about masturbation. So somebody that's, you know, doing that regularly, just feeling a lot of shame. Uh, yeah. What would What would you say to them right now?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'd hit on the gospel of grace that there's a, this is not to sound condescending to an adult that might be listening, but uh, one of the things I I tell my kids is that when we're in sin, we can do two things. We can stay stuck in our sin. And there's a number of ways we can do that. Uh, We can deny that we're actually sinning. We can try to pretend it didn't happen or it isn't happening. Uh, we can downplay it. We can do all kinds of things. Um, but number one is we can stay stuck in our sin. The second thing is um, we can ask Jesus to forgive us and we can move on. And I think what shame wants us to do—that—that that unhealthy shame um, wants us to stay stuck in the sin, mm-hmm. to say, "I can't tell anyone about this because of what they're going to think about me. Um, I can't, I can't admit this." Like. I messed up too much, um, or it's not that big a deal. Like I I can handle this. Like I don't need to tell anybody. Um, I think shame wants to keep it a secret. And Mm -hmm. so I would just encourage if someone's feeling like a sense of shame because they've messed up, um, most pastors have heard way more than you think. And I would encourage you to go to your pastor or to someone you trust in your church. Um, and confess and get that off your chest and not because you need them to forgive you but you need them to remind you of the gospel of grace Um, and then oftentimes, uh, I know our church does but oftentimes churches have connections with counselors if that's what you need or resources or books or accountability groups or whatever if you want to try to get connected to some resource to help get you out of whatever hole you're in um, we're all about trying to help people do that.
0: One of the things that we didn't talk about was the idea of lust. Uh, mm. just kind of like the, um, for those of you, I mean, everybody kind of is familiar with the term lust. Um, but I do feel like, um, with the way I was brought up and I, I think you as well, actually, I know you as well Is like. Sexual sin is not just the act, Yeah, it's also what happens in the mind. Yeah. Um, can you explain that a little bit and then well, explain what lust is? Actually, let's just start there. <laughs> let's just start there. What is lust? What is
1: yeah. Uh, lust. So Jesus says, basically, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, um, anyone who's looked at a woman lustfully is already guilty of adultery. Uh, and so it's this idea that you're looking at someone. I mean, the, the biblical command is addressed as if it's like a man looking at a woman, but it can go either way. You're looking at someone um, for mental sexual pleasure.
0: There's, but there's also the idea that we're, we're sexual beings and it's natural to have those, those inclinations and stuff. So is there, is there a line? at all is it ever okay to like <laughs> look at somebody like sexually yeah. or um or is it just it's just that simple like just don't do it at all if it's not your wife
1: yeah dude that's um i mean we are sexual beings so it i think especially um we live in a culture that's fairly open about sexuality and sex stuff it's in our ads mm-hmm. it's everywhere so to say don't look like don't look at anyone sexually is sort of like saying like, just see if you can hold your breath until you get married. <laughs> it's just like how could we do that? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a difference between admiring someone's good looking and someone has a fit body or something like that. Just admiring the beauty of somebody, um, and like lust the line between those two is like 0.1 nanoseconds i don't know <laughs> like i don't know how fuzzy it is it feels pretty difficult to distinguish
0: yeah.
1: um and maybe it's not a matter of time it was kind of a joke but i i don't know like uh i know this is an area of my life i rely pretty heavily on the holy spirit like for discernment in my own into my own heart like was that Am I lusting? Am I not? Like, I, I kind of just try on the air, air on the side of like, just try to avoid it altogether. Um, yeah. and that's not, yeah, well, that would, well, that would go down to the rabbit hole. I'm not going to say anything about that, but yeah. it, I, I err on the side of, uh, a practice that, uh, This is, I guess another part of purity culture is, um, and I know you've heard about this too, is like bouncing the eyes. If you see someone or even an ad or whatever, as even like, slightly attractive over you that you kind of notice that you want to look. Yeah, you kind of imagine your eyes are bouncy balls. You just look away. You just you yeah. look away. You look at the floor. So I, I, I still do that. If I'm watching movies and there's like a sex scene on, I'll either leave the room if I'm in the movie theater, I'll just like look at the floor. Like I try to avert my eyes. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I just feel like that's such a um I feel like it's such an important question because it's, cause a lot of our experience happens in the mind and not, Yeah. I mean, we're not always banging somebody or like have the opportunity <laughs> to, but we always yeah. have the opportunity to, Yeah. to lust. Right. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's, and- it's, it's always been kind of gray in my mind. And I was just curious to hear your take on it.
1: Yeah. And this, I mean, this, taps into a larger concept other than just sexual thoughts and lust. But, I mean, as Christians, one of the things that we're called to do is to discipline our thought life. Mm-hmm. Um, and Philippians, it's, we're supposed to think about whatever is pure and lovely and right and good. It's it's not just the sexual self we're supposed to avoid. Like um, Another example like is uh, I can find myself occasionally... unhelpfully like fantasizing about money like oh if i had x Mm -hmm. amount of money i could do xyz sort of thing and what that does is that that breeds a discontent in my own heart um Mm -hmm. that i mean if left unchecked is going to go towards like a heart of greediness maybe even theft or blah 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 um and and there's all sorts of areas of life where we're trying to to discipline our thought life towards godliness and so if we're looking at a woman or man, whatever the case may be, lustfully, and we're just kind of doing that unchecked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Christian worldview with the Bible, I think would lead us to believe is that what that's going to do is that's going to create mental habits that that don't stay in your mind, that, yeah. that play themselves out mm-hmm. um, in whatever way possible.
0: It's like the thought life is uh, kind of the roots and then the act is the... If if it was a if it was a tree, the thoughts are the roots and yeah. then the actions are the fruit or whatever sure. it's growing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah, that's a good that's a good point to bring up. something else we didn't talk about, and I don't know if you'll edit this out or put it in somewhere else in the conversation, but uh, you know, we've talked a lot about if someone's uh I've talked about a little bit of my own experience and in shame and confession and, and just being open. But how does the church respond when someone falls short and doesn't seem to want to change, um, that feels stickier. Mm-hmm. Um, I shouldn't say stickier. I, d- I think it's fairly clear. It's just difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's an area where I feel like a lot of people either have been burned or, um, or the church has made mistakes in how to tactfully and gracefully handle someone who's, I mean, our term is unrepentant, yeah um and it feels like that's that's one area where purity culture can can be pretty difficult for a lot of people Mm -hmm. so i don't even know if i have a question around that i just thought uh, that was something to bring up
0: yeah um some of the people i've interviewed on purity culture right now are people who have felt hurt so um maybe I give you an opportunity to like what would what do you want to say? I like not that it's yeah, it's like on you, right? But yeah. like I'm sure you feel for them and like yeah. you love them. I will stop talking and let you <laughs> let you talk.
1: Yeah. I mean it and honestly it can depend totally church to church and family to family. Um, you know there's yeah. a, there's a story in John eight where these Pharisees and teachers of the law catch this woman in adultery and they they bring her before Jesus and say hey the law commands that we stone her and like we kill her and Jesus says well whoever doesn't have any sin in their life go ahead and throw the first rock Mm -hmm. and then you know nobody does Um, and so I think a lot of people maybe have experienced that same sense of how we caught you now it's time to kill you um and I think, I guess I don't know what to say to people. Victims isn't the right word. But people who have been hurt by that kind of stuff. Because um, I don't know the specific cases. I feel like yeah. it would be much more one-on-one. But uh, just recognize if it's a healthy church, there's a tension that the leaders are trying to balance that's very difficult between grace and and the cleansing and we're not going to hold this against you we're going to walk with you we're gonna we're gonna help you and at the same time I and mean, jesus tells the woman uh caught in adultery after everyone leaves um he says hey so no one's condemned you she says nobody he says well neither do i condemn you go and sin no more um, so how do we hold the the grace the forgiveness the cleansing i don't judge you with go and sin no more mm-hmm. um and just realize that the leaders of the church are really trying hard to figure out how do we balance how do we balance that and it gets even way stickier if we're talking about minors or an abuse situation and there's like legal stuff thrown in there yeah. that that gets i mean that's hard stuff man um if it's a healthy church they want to love you they want to forgive you they want to help you they also want to Uh, uphold God's standards. Mm -hmm. And um, it just totally depends on the person where they're at in life, their emotional and mental maturity. I mean, all kinds of things in terms of how they respond to either being found out. And there's also a huge difference between being found out and confessing and coming forward. Um, There's a big difference between those two. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I guess all I want to say is just recognize... If it's a healthy church, the leaders should care about you and love you and um, pray for them. Yeah, so.
0: That concludes this part of Tyler and my conversation. But there's actually a part B to this conversation. In part B, Tyler and I discuss some of our differences of opinion regarding purity culture. But we also find some common ground and actually offer each other some advice at the end. So, Please make your way on over to part B.